This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. Welcome to the Sufi Heart Podcast with Omid Safi, featuring teachings and stories from the wisdom of the Islamic tradition. Omid invites you to a meditation on the transformative power of love and recalling the necessity of healing our own hearts through healing the world. If you'd like to support Omid's podcast, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com forward slash Omid. Welcome to another uh, interview that I've got on in this Deep Burnout series. Today, my guest is Ahmed Safi. He's an American professor of Asian and Middle Eastern Studies at Duke University. He is the director of Duke Islamic Studies Center and is also a communist for one being. Dr. Safi specializes in Islamic mysticism, contemporary Islamic thought, and medieval history. He's also written a series of books. Um, and I am just really, really thrilled that he is with me today. I am Tanya Hussein. I'm a trauma recovery and stress management coach. And I recently just finished a summit all about the burnout. And this interview is one of the many that I'm going to be posting on Facebook Live and posting to my list. Um, I am so thrilled to have you, Professor Safi, joining us today. Thank um, you. It's good to be with you. And, and you are in North Carolina, am I right? That's correct. Right. You say in your Facebook profile, bringing love to the public is, bringing love, sorry, to public spaces is very important to you. And it just reminded me of Dr. Cornell West saying that justice is what love looks like in public and as somebody that works as a social worker in the criminal justice system i just i just find your facebook posts resonate with so much love as does your the writing that i've read um, that you've written in your books and the articles that i come across in the column on being and my first question to you is in this time which is very full of hate and a lot of hate and anger being expressed in the public places. How do you bring love to the public place? Thank you. Thank you so much for uh, this time and this space and the opportunity to have this conversation. Um, I think you are exactly right that uh, there's quite a bit of hate and fear mongering that is very loud mm -hmm. and visible these days. Mm -hmm. um, 
but I think it's also important to remember that love and gentleness and tenderness and kindness, mm-hmm. that these are also present mm-hmm. in, in our world. Mm-hmm. Um, we have simply created a mechanism mm-hmm. whereby the most vile, mm-hmm. the more hateful, Uh, the more, I think as you, our British friends would call it, rubbish uh, something is, uh, Mm -hmm. the the quicker we are to bring a microphone in front of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, you know, many of the politicians Mm -hmm. who are running not on the basis of making this world a kinder, gentler, more Mm -hmm. just world, but Mm -hmm. um, they're smart enough to figure out that the more they can fragment us, Mm-hmm. And the more that they can espouse um, a sense of dread and fear and loathing among us, mm-hmm. they don't need all of our votes. They just need 40% of mm-hmm. the vote. So actually, um, the way that they thrive is mm-hmm. to have us be divided into as many little sub-communities as possible. Mm-hmm. All of us looking over our shoulders, trying to figure out, who's out there to take our jobs and who's out there threatening our way of lives and our Mm -hmm. values. Mm -hmm. I think I'd like to begin with a different um, starting place, Mm -hmm. which is any of us, uh, including all the people who might be listening to this or watching this, we are alive because somebody loved us. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are alive because somebody cared for us. We're alive because somebody gave of themselves uh, and, and got up in the middle of the night to nurse us, to suckle us, to change our diapers, um, which I think, I forget what the British expression nappies. for diapers. Nappies, nappies, that's right. Uh, we, are, we are one people divided by a common language. Um, someone changed our nappies for us. Someone changed our diapers for us. And without all of those things, we wouldn't be alive today. But what we have done is that we have taken love and tenderness and relegated it into the most private of terms. Mm -hmm. Uh, That love is supposed to be something that belongs in the private realm. Mm -hmm. And we have also sexualized and romanticized love meaning that we have collapsed all the possible shades and permutations of love Mm -hmm. into that romantic and physical and sexual shade Mm -hmm. of love. And as a result, there's lots of people who walk around talking about how they're living a loveless existence, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas, you know, the people that I draw my inspiration from which, yes, uh, include people like Brother West, uh, Cornel West, who's a dear friend and an inspiration, mm-hmm. um, but, but also, you know, the Quran and the life of the prophet and the Sufi sages like Rumi, mm-hmm. um, that they talk about how we're actually living a loveful existence, mm-hmm. that you are loved by parents and siblings and neighbors and friends and teachers and strangers and... And, and when we speak about love, not only do we romanticize it, not only do we sexualize it, we also tend to see love as just a personal feeling. Mm-hmm. It is an emotion. Uh, today I feel love, tomorrow I may not. Mm-hmm. 
And um, for our Sufi friends, just as is the case for our more mystically inclined Jewish and Christian and Hindu friends, mm -hmm. love is not a human emotion. Mm -hmm. uh, love is the very being, the very essence of Allah that is unleashed onto this world. Mm -hmm. And so when we speak about bringing love into the public places, it doesn't mean necessarily that I'm going to go stand in the public town square and offer to hug people or to make love to them. Mm -hmm. um, what it really means is that we want to restore a sense of love as something that is part of the fabric of our society, that mm -hmm. we want to see and spot and listen and be able to touch and be grateful for loving relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, not just in the private realm, but also in the public realm. We want to have an existence in which a teacher who is teaching my child is acknowledged and is seen as providing love and service, right? Mm -hmm. Why should it be that someone who's trading stocks mm -hmm. gets to have the, the highest of lifestyles uh, mm -hmm. in the physical sense, in the material sense, but someone who's teaching our children or someone who's watching your children while you're at work, mm -hmm. that their work should go practically unseen and unacknowledged. So I think that's what Brother West means by um, all that we mean by justice is mm -hmm. love when it comes into the public square. Mm -hmm. um, and as many of our Sufi friends have also said, it's the same love. Mm. It's this one love that is the eruption of God into this realm mm. that in a human sense, if we have loving relationships, if I would want for you mm. what I would want for myself, then mm. that's the starting point of justice. Mm -hmm. And so when love moves outward, when love moves forward, we call it justice. Mm -hmm. But then when love moves inward, mm when it transforms our interpersonal relationships, we call it tenderness. Mm -hmm. Tenderness. And I think in, that's one of the aspects that I keep thinking about as I watch and observe many people around me, mm -hmm. um, including many of my fellow activists, mm -hmm. who think that the way that we are to counter racism mm -hmm. and Islamophobia and sexism and misogyny and militarism mm -hmm. is in some ways by being just as hardened mm -hmm. uh, as the forces that are advocating for such bigotry. Mm -hmm. And I do not know that we're going to vanquish darkness through more darkness. Mm -hmm. I think we have to have a different recourse out there. Mm -hmm. And in particular, just because we might see ourselves as fierce, mm. radical advocates of justice, mm. which I hope we do, mm. that should never be license for us to trample mm. on the lives of people in our inner circle. Mm. That one should be able to be inwardly tender mm. and fiercely radical at the same time, mm. as long as they are both illuminated by love. Yeah, you, it's like I'm speechless. I'm kind of I'm thinking so many things as I'm as I'm listening to you.
And as a social worker, I know it's really interesting. Sometimes our profession is called social care, working for children, social care. And sometimes I find that I remember 2016, a couple of years ago, when our service became a trauma-informed service, and the person that was like uh, leading those discussions actually started talking about love. Yeah. And it yeah. it was not the word care he was talking about; it was the word love. And I remember everybody in the room raising their eyebrows thinking my god this is like a forbidden term right you can talk about care but you can't talk about love <laughs> and for social workers who aren't usually very good at talking about their feelings i just felt like you know he he'd you know um he'd actually exposed something which was really very deep that all of us want to talk about it but we can't talk about it for some reason it's just an unsaid rule. And I'm really just so glad that you are saying this because that romanticization and erotization is something that's happened over sort of centuries. It's not just a, a recent thing. And I just wanted, and that tenderness that you talked about, the inner tenderness, which is what I find is that a lot of social workers, a lot of healthcare professionals, a lot of people that are dealing with that hate whether that's racism or whatever it is, Islamophobia, they're dealing with that within their work as a, on a voluntary level or a, on a paid level, or they're dealing with it as being a parent or a grandparent, a carer, a childminder, um, whatever that is, is that they are really tender and loving towards others, mm -hmm. but they find it really difficult to be tender towards themselves. And it leads to them like you know feeling really like life is meaningless life is really what what would you what would you say to how to rekindle that tenderness within how would you what how would you advise somebody to do that you know that's a wonderful wonderful question um i think there are some very simple practices that one can begin to do and as long as you know, we have the generosity of viewing them not as a one-time practice mm -hmm. that to simply have reflected on this solves all of the issues that we're dealing mm -hmm. with, but to really think of this as a commitment, mm -hmm. as a commitment to our own being. Mm -hmm. So to begin with, to begin with, I would suggest uh, starting with gratitude. Mm -hmm. Uh, to gratitude and and to begin that with a sense of asking oneself very consciously to go back and to invoke the presence of everybody that has loved us. Um, it might be a grandparent, it might be an aunt or an uncle, it might be a parent, it might be a teacher, and it might have been someone who loved you at one point in life and then your lives carried you in different directions, but at one point you were loved and there was care and there was service and there was tenderness. To, 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 to recall those moments and to recall those spirits, many of whom, um, particularly of one's ancestors, mm -hmm. uh, may no longer be on this realm. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, we, we have to, in some ways, remember. Um, 
the the shy and innocent or playful um, eight-year-old or 10-year-old who would find solace in the embrace, in the fleshy embrace mm -hmm. of a grandmother or a grandfather. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, now we are, um, we hope to be perhaps the wildest dreams that those ancestors uh, could have had for us. Mm -hmm. um, and that, I think, is also a way of getting in touch with that um, inner child that many of us have, that inner child that is begging to be loved, to be seen. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a way of also changing the stories that we tell ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's not only fake news, if you would, uh, mm -hmm. that succeeds by simply repeating the same lie over and over again until it has become a truth. We do this to ourselves. Right? We keep telling ourselves, uh, you've never been loved. No one has ever cared for you. Mm -hmm. No one has ever loved you. And mm -hmm. as a result, we go from telling ourselves, you've never been loved, mm -hmm. to actually believing that you are unworthy of love. Mm -hmm. And that is a lie that we have to shatter on the rock of truth. Mm -hmm. And the truth is that we are here because somebody loved us. Yes. So that's the first part. And then I think the second part, and surely there are many other practices as well. Um, I think the second part is particularly for people whose profession is providing care, mm -hmm. providing love, providing tenderness. To think about how would you treat yourself if you came across yourself? Um, many of us are so good when we see a friend, a neighbor, a stranger, a student, a client, and we see them in a toxic relationship. Mm -hmm. And we know exactly what to say to them. Mm -hmm. We know exactly how to tell them, you are worthy, you are beautiful, your life has meaning. Do mm -hmm. not allow yourself to stay in a situation when someone doesn't see your light. Mm -hmm. Right, And yet, when it comes to our own selves, it's almost like we don't know how to bring that same wisdom, that same insight, that same light into our own life. Um, and it surely is hard to put that in practice, I think, in, in one's own being. And maybe that's a reminder for why we need each other. Um, you know, we are not, this. at the end of the day, this path is not merely a path of self-help. Uh, we are mirrors for each other. We're supposed to have those people who, um, as I sometimes have called it, they're in your boat. Yeah. And sometimes in life's journey, you might be a wavy, a stormy kind of a journey. Mm -hmm. And these are people who are going to stay in your boat. And your boat goes up, and they're going to come up with you. And your boat comes crashing down, mm -hmm. and they're still going to be there with you. And you don't even have to turn back around to see mm -hmm. if they're still there. You just have to reach back, and they will reach for you mm -hmm. and grab your hand and squeeze it and let you know that they're right here with you. Mm -hmm. And I think particularly for those of us who have come to convince ourselves mm. that our value is in providing care. Mm. Mm. Look, what is holier than providing love, 
what is more noble and more beautiful than providing care. This is absolutely true. But sometimes, and I'm here speaking of myself, maybe this has no relevance to anybody else, but I think it probably does. Sometimes that tendency to want to provide care for others is because we have told ourselves another lie. And that lie is, I am only valuable if I'm serving somebody else. That my own existence in and by itself is worthless. So let me frantically give of myself until my own cup is empty. Right? Um, and, and that is a lie that I think we also have to expose to the light of truth and to say, no, my child, your life is sacred and beautiful and precious, just mm -hmm. as is the life of every other soul that you come across. Mm -hmm. And there is nothing more noble. There is nothing more loving than to mm -hmm. provide care. But that is not why you are worthy of love. Mm -hmm. You simply are worthy of love because you are and you live and you breathe. Yes, that, that sense of being, that sense of being and connection, and connection comes in so many different levels to ourselves, to other, you know, to other beings around us. And as, as you were talking, I was just actually thinking that this generosity, because learning the laws of generosity, the laws of generosity, the, the two laws are very much known. And I guess was said a lot in, in the summit by a lot of different speakers that there is the, the law of giving, giving to others. There's the law of giving to God. But not very many people know about the third law of generosity, giving to yourself. Because mm -hmm. like you said, you can't give from an empty cup. Yes. You can't give from an empty cup. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I know, I know Rumi often like, you know, like talks, talks about that and, and the Bible and the Quran and a, a lot of the, you know, the scriptures talk about that. And I just kind of wanted to ask you, <laughs> there is this thing about sometimes and this is what I found that there was a theme happening and gratitude was very much what a lot of um, speakers were saying in the summit and this is something that I teach my private clients to have a gratitude journal um, but sometimes would you say that by burning out by completely burning out you find your light sometimes by falling you rise sometimes by I think this is what Deb Crow said sometimes it's in the valleys you know life is peaks and valleys but sometimes in the valleys there is growth I'd like to love I'd love to know why do you think that social workers and healthcare professionals and those that provide care are more prone to burnout a, a certain type of person it seems to be the more compassionate the person is and, and Sarah K Smullins research actually shows the more compassionate the person is, the more prone they are to burnout. Why do you think that kind of particular personality is more prone to burnout? You know, I think some of that has to do with the fact that, um, you know, we do live in a society where um, love and care 
and uh, kindness don't have a discernible uh, value attached to them. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, unlike, let's say, money and stocks and bonds and you know, vehicles and the mm-hmm. size of your home or the neighborhood that your home is, is situated mm-hmm. in. Um, and uh, so, you know, we are talking about a demand that um, and we, we do live in a world where, uh, yes, there is love and there's kindness, but in other ways, you know, this is also a world that in some ways uh, has gone mad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think most of us can discern by looking around that the way that so much of life uh, as we experience it, that this is not how we're supposed to be living. Mm. Um, and our hearts are sensitive. Mm. Our hearts respond. They're not just stone. Mm. Um, and so the more we see this uh, fear and hatred and um, mm. the, the fanning of the flames of mm. animosity, not to say anything about the environmental degradation and sure. the spiritual qualities that are introduced in this world, of course our hearts are responding to it. And so there's more and more and more people in mm. need of care. Mm. Add to that the fact that, um, you know, there, would, there used to be a wonderful saying from the prophet that you should uh, sleep for eight hours a day, mm. you should work for eight hours a day, yeah. and then you should worship and spend time with your family for eight hours a day. Yeah. I'd like to know <laughs> who among us has eight hours a day to spend with family and to worship <laughs> these days. Because everywhere that we go, um, there's a means, whether it's a laptop or an mm. iPad or your cell phone, mm. uh, and your work follows you everywhere that you go. And yeah. there is, it's not that the boundary is fluid, there yeah. is no boundary yeah. for so many of us. And, um, you know, I sometimes, I don't know if I should be smiling or probably weeping um, when I go into a bathroom Mm. and Mm. on the stall next to me, Mm. uh, the gentleman is on his phone trying to handle a business transaction, right? (laughs) And and part of me is like, you know, sweet justice. (laughs) Like if there is one moment in your life that you should just put that away, And just concentrate on that most physical of activity Mm. that has brought us here together. Mm. Um, And so, you know, I think this, this, the need to provide care is an Mm. all time high. The Mm. reward and the acknowledgement is perhaps Mm. at an all time low. Mm. Uh, And um, and so I think all of those are, are factors Mm. kind of that go um, into it. Mm -hmm. And, um, so it's gonna it's gonna require for many of us to find uh, ways of replenishing ourselves. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what I oftentimes tell my friends and my students uh, is simply this: we used to remember a time where we would move from a crisis to another crisis, yes. and in between there were times that we experienced as normal times. And whatever term you want to give it, in some ways it seems like now we're living in an age where the whole thing is an age of crisis. Mm. 
right? There is no let up. There mm. are no times um, in which the madness of the world mm. decides to go on vacation. Mm. What mm. that means is that we're going to have to somehow find a way of replenishing ourselves mm. in the middle of the storm, mm. right? The day and the time for working for the whole year and then taking an exotic vacation, mm. right? That time is long gone. Mm. It means that the commitment to our own self, to our mm. own heart, to our mm. own soul, to our mm. families, this is something we're going to have to do on a day-by-day, night-by-night basis. Mm. And mm. I think particularly for those of us who are called most directly to provide love and care for, mm. for others, um, you know, all of the sayings that uh, we get and we get these from Christ and we have them from the prophet and mm. from others that you have to love others as you love yourself. Mm. Right. These have a double meaning. Yes. Right. Yes. On one hand, yes, it is a call to transcend egoism and narcissism and selfishness mm. and, mm. and transcend above the, the qualities of self-centeredness. Mm. But on the other hand, on the other hand, if you have no love for your own self, mm. if you only have disdain and loathing for your own self, and maybe disdain is too strong of a word, disregard. Mm. If you live in a way where you're disregarding your own well-being, mm. how can you possibly regard mm. the well-being of your friend, of your neighbor, of the stranger? Mm. So I think that's why, um, you know, others have said it much better than I have in the past. Um, to practice self-care is a revolutionary act of survival. It, it is actually, you're, you're so right. And this, this theme came up about, it is actually to do with survival, pure survival. Absolutely. And, yeah, because I think before, this is something that I said on the recent Facebook Live, uh, I have this private um, Facebook group called, uh, you know, Boot Burnout. And this was something that I said before, self-care was deemed as selfish or self-indulgent. Yes. But now I think that if you do not have self-care, you will, you know, you're, you're prone to burnout. You're prone to either having a, a heart attack or yeah. a nervous breakdown. And self-care is necessary to survive. It's like, I think I came across this in this really brilliant book that um, I read recently. And it's a famous book called The Go-Giver. And in that, he writes at the end, he actually says to the central character, you know, try to breathe out and do it for a very long time. So the guy tries to breathe out. And I think after, I don't know, 10 seconds, 15 seconds, I don't know how long it is. Obviously, he wants to take a breath in, but the guy goes, you have to kind of do it. As, keep breathing. Keep breathing out. And he goes, I can't do this. I need to breathe in. But it's the same with breathing. You have to breathe in to breathe out. That's right. And yet we forget how necessary replenishing ourselves, like you're talking about, is whether that is via our families, whether that is by taking some time, you know, for reflection, what, whatever that is, it's just so essential. And you were kind of like talking about how difficult the, the, the boundaries are or the fact that they don't even exist. And I just wanted to know, in this age of 
24-7 news, the internet, social media, fake news. You know, the fact that we are like, some I don't can't remember who said it. Somebody said, we're the most connected generation. We're mm -hmm. connected to people on the other side of the world. Today, just doing this Zoom call, I'm connected to you in the other, you know, the other side, in another continent. Yet, we are the most, at the same time, paradoxically, we're the most disconnected. Would you be able to shed some wisdom and how we can become more connected with that paradoxical truth? Yeah, so I think I tend to approach that in a couple of ways. Um, and it starts again with that idea of self-care. Mm -hmm. um, it is hard for us to think about connecting with others when we are fragmented internally and inwardly um, and whereas the more whole we become the more we're actually able to detect whole human beings around us maybe people that we wouldn't have noticed before so um, you know I am completely with you in uh, the necessity of self-care there are times that I have noticed that self-care does become a sort of license for, mm -hmm. you know, um, I'm now going to do this and to do that um, because, you know, self-care is a revolutionary act of survival. <laughs> and, you know, part of me is like, well, um, this actually looks suspiciously like narcissism <laughs> dressed up as self-care. Yeah. Like self-care, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. you, you, yeah. you put a veneer of, <laughs> of something on it. So to make sure that it is grounded and rooted, I think this is the question that I, at least in my own life, I try to ask myself, mm. what makes me human? Mm. And, and I think about the different components of what make me human. Mm. So there is my physical side. Mm -hmm. There's an emotional side. Mm -hmm. There is a spiritual component mm -hmm. and perhaps an intellectual component. Mm -hmm. And then I think about doing a level of monitoring my own being. How am I doing at each one of these levels? How mm -hmm. is my body? How mm -hmm. is my emotional heart? Mm -hmm. How is my spirit? And how mm -hmm. is my intellect? Mm -hmm. What am I putting into each one of these components, mm -hmm. right? And because I teach and I teach young people, mm -hmm. I notice that they are remarkably attuned mm -hmm. to what they're putting into their physical body, mm -hmm. right? Um, they're eating what is organic. They might always be walking around with a bottle of water. They might do yoga. They might mm -hmm. be jogging um, and all of that. Mm -hmm. And many of the same people who are so careful about what they're putting into their body mm. are the most reckless about mm. what they're welcoming into their emotional heart. Yeah. Um, and I keep telling them the person who texts you the most is not necessarily the one who loves you the most. Mm. Mm. Um, and, you know, they would never think about walking into a restaurant or a cafeteria and simply grabbing whatever food is closest at hand, but emotionally, yeah. they might welcome the person that they interact with the most. Mm. 
mm-hmm. without practicing that same kind of discernment. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same thing for ourselves spiritually and intellectually, mm-hmm. right? Do we know ourselves well enough to know what practices, what rituals nourish me? And it might look like prayer. It might look like yoga. It might look like meditation. It might look like listening to music. It might look like reading poetry. For some other people, it might look like going for a walk in a garden, Mm. uh, going for a walk in the woods. Uh, Perhaps if you live to something that reminds you of infinity, um, Mm. taking a stroll where you can see the mountains Mm. or seeing an ocean. Mm. at a beach like all of these Mm. remind you of something greater than than yourself Mm. Um, maybe it looks like going back home to see your mama Mm. uh, and and having that comforting food that only she knows how to make and listening to the stories of your father or Mm. a dear friend Mm. who are the people that whenever you get together with them Mm. you come away feeling whole, not just good, whole. And then make that into a practice. Make a practice of doing those rituals, visiting those people again and again and again. So I think that's one aspect of it. I think you've really hit it on the nail. And as you were talking, I was was reminded of my spiritual teacher, um, Halima Krausen, who who once gave me this exercise to do in, in a workshop was, you know, you go around and you actually look at the floor and you try to greet people and you're just like going around saying hello. You're just looking at the floor. You're not looking at them, you know, face to face, not doing eye contact. And then slowly you raise your, your eye, you know, your eye level to their knee and you still carry on saying hello. And then you raise it to, uh, you know, to their eyes and you're giving, you know, eye to eye contact. And how she asked us at each level how we felt. And it was only when we gave eye-to-eye contact yes. that we felt human and connected and okay. Otherwise, it just felt really weird and awkward. And I, this is something that I say, say to my own kids and I say it to the young people that I work with. Sometimes, you know, this messaging that you do and this texting that you do and communication in the last 10, 15 years has changed so much because of mobile phone technology. Sure. It's really important sometimes to not message, to give, have that face-to-face conversation. Yeah. You can't do it all the time. Right. And, and, and the fact that we're having this conversation on Zoom, although it's not as good as face-to-face, it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's not the best, but it, it will do. But sometimes there's that different levels of communication and enhancement and enrichment. And I think sometimes young people, because they're so used to messaging, they they are kind of, not all of them, some of them, I wouldn't say all of them, some of them are still very good at, at face-to-face contact and, and conversation. But this is something that I say is really important just to have an hour away from your phone. Yeah. If you can't have a day, have an hour away just to replenish yourself and have that that really very rich human connection with someone and I wanted to ask you and this is something that came up in the summit it was a running theme about lots of social workers and healthcare professionals care providers and and I know some you know that imams and rabbis and pastors feel like this they feel really 
embarrassed sometimes or really ashamed because everybody expects them to have all the answers to ask for help. And I just wanted to know, how do you ask for help in this day and age? Yeah, uh, that's a wonderful question. You know, um, one of the realizations that I had some years ago um, when I went through a very painful divorce procedure um, was I realized that we have these beautiful rituals for marriage and they're almost all public rituals, yeah. right? Um, and of course, you know, our South Asian friends have mm -hmm. elevated marriage rituals to uh, a theater. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a long theatrical unfolding uh, where, you know, there's the night of tears and there's the night for uh, this, and there's a night for that. And, um, but it's public, mm -hmm. right? Whereas um, divorce, mm -hmm. which is, of course, not an event, you mm -hmm. don't get divorced mm -hmm. at one night or on one day, mm -hmm. but it's a whole process sure. of disentangling mm -hmm. lives that used to be entangled. Mm -hmm. Divorce is a shame-filled experience, mm -hmm. and there are no public rituals for it. Mm -hmm. There is no occasion in which any of us gets to stand up and to say, I'm hurting, I'm vulnerable, I'm suffering, and I don't even know how to ask for help, but I need help. Mm. But mm. I need help. Mm. And in some ways, I think um, we have to create a kind of community mm. where we can fall apart mm. with, with our beloved ones, with mm. the people that we know and we love and trust, um, and to not have that um, public confession of vulnerability mm -hmm. uh, become a license for pulling people in who may not want to be pulled in. This, mm. this is something that you do with the people who are in your boat mm. and they're committed to being in your boat. Mm. Um, and, you know, there was one time that I wrote a column about this. Rumi has a wonderful insight that I think the imams and the pastors and the rabbis and the social workers that you're working with could benefit from greatly. Um, and, you know, he talks about there was, a, uh, there was a person who had fallen in a river and he didn't know how to swim. Mm -hmm. And people were standing on the banks of the river and they were trying to help him. Mm -hmm. And they kept saying, um, give us your hand, give us your hand. Mm -hmm. and, and he just kept going under the water and coming back out and he was about to drown. And then there is a sage, who, um, a Sufi master, who walks by and he goes exactly to the same place that the people are. And he also reaches his hand, but he says, take my hand. And the person, of course, clasps for dear life to his hand and he's able to pull him out and rescue him. And people say, why did he listen to you? And he never took any of our offers. And the sage says, he was struggling and at a time that he had nothing to give, you kept asking him to give you something, to give you his hand. I merely offered him something. Mm. And so I think for those of us uh, who are providers of care, mm. especially when we hit that moment 
um, of rock bottom, um, which can be an opportunity for a rebirth. I think those are the times where the people in our community, the people in our love boat, those are the times for them to come to us and offer a hand, offer a helping hand, offer a helping heart. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. And I think you've answered my next question. It was how do we create spaces where we can talk about our anxiety, where it is safe? I think you've already answered that. And I just had, I had like one more question, which was, what do you think? And I, I, they are with us anyway. Um, but what would you think? in this in this day and age where where there is there is darkness and there is light but it kind of they come together there is love there is prayer everything comes together what do you think jesus peace be upon him and muhammad peace be upon him would advise would advise us where self-care doesn't become narcissism um Love doesn't become hate. Darkness doesn't become light. What would you think they would advise us? You know, I hope that one of the pieces of wisdom that they would offer us is to remember that faith is not simply faith in God. Um, God simply is. God is as real as the sun rising and the stars and the tree outside and you and I having this conversation. Faith, part of faith, is that realization that we do not actually live in a Manichaean world. Uh, We do not live in a binary world of light and darkness um, love and, and I always say that the opposite of love is not hatred the mm. opposite of love is apathy is indifference yes it's indifference yes, in that you're right. um, and to remember that a part of faith part of being a faithful person and I think this could easily apply to all of us part of being a faithful person is to remember that at the end of days mm. light always has victory over darkness. That love triumphs over indifference and apathy because love is divine, whereas apathy is not. Mm -hmm. That knowledge and wisdom are more luminous Mm -hmm. than ignorance. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we practice self-care for ourselves. Sometimes we plant a tree knowing Mm -hmm. that we may not live long enough to eat of the fruit of that tree. But we do so because we have faith in the goodness of the world. Mm. And I think that for me is also the realization that um, there is injustice today in the world. Mm. No one community has a monopoly on it. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. to actually connect together Mm -hmm. the different injustices and sufferings that all of our communities are going through, we are in this together. Mm. We either rise together or we go down together, but Mm. no matter, we are in it together, even if suffering is not evenly distributed, Mm. 
we are still in this together. And whatever goodness we bring into this world, whatever tenderness we bring into this world, uh, that this is, and at the end, the victory of light and wisdom and kindness and love, that is written. And that, for me, is part of being a person of faith. Wow, that is just, thank you so much, Professor Sahi. Thank you so much. And I'm grateful. Um, I have learned so much just listening to you. you we know. learn together. We learn yes. together. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, I just I, as you're talking, I think there's definitely themes that I kind of find very much in the online coaching world and in my own social work world. Connection, community and collaboration they're so they're such vital ingredients to make this world a better place and i'm so glad that we connected today thank you thank you for joining us This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now.